Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I am very excited to have Kathleen and Amy Smith, owners of the Saratoga Arms Hotel in Saratoga, Saratoga Springs, New York. Ladies, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Well, ladies, I'm excited to have two for one today. And we always start this podcast the same way. And it's what was your first job in hospitality? And I want to start with Kathleen today. So Kathleen, what was your first job in hospitality? My first job was being a waitress at a resort in Saratoga Springs during the summer, college summers. And I had an immigrant mother who said, in spite of all the money your father paid for your education, what you did for your college summers has prepared you for what you do in life. And I think that was a slight disappointment to her. <laughs> and I got into the, oh, do you want me to keep going? Yeah, keep going. I want to hear about it. I got into the game when I married a man who had a degree in hotel and restaurant management. And that really decided our family's vocation. We, the kids got involved, everybody got involved. So we used to have restaurants, no harder way to make a living. Mm -hmm. And we got lucky in the early 80s and bought a motel and two bed and breakfast houses on a seven acre piece of property still in the town. And we moved there with three daughters and uh, went to work. And the daughters were, I can answer her question of when she started in the hospitality game. Well, I mean, it, it dovetails quite nicely actually for what I, the oldest daughter started. Uh, my career in hospitality is when my parents, when I was young, as early as two years old, they had, my father had his first bar. It was a blue collar bar. And then we moved, uh, there was an apartment above the bar where my parents moved us all once they had that furnished. And we would be downstairs at the, what we would say the family table for the better part of the day. After school, as we got older after school, we would be there. That's where we would be with our parents. And we would, and I remember as a very young kid seeing how the inner workings of a restaurant and, and a bar worked. And uh, my first job was actually when I was six years old. Uh, I was clearing tables on busy nights, and you know, we were there. Child labor laws didn't it didn't really <laughs> exist in the 70s, I don't think. But yeah. we my famous story is when I was six years old and my parents were in the kitchen, we had a gentleman that would come to the bar every day after work. He's a blue-collar worker, and he always would have Jenny Cream Ale drafts. And my, neither one of my parents were coming out of the kitchen. He sat down at the bar and no, and I knew him. He came every single day. And I, six years old, marched right behind the bar, got up on a milk crate and pulled a draft of Jenny Cream Ale just as my mother was coming out of the kitchen. No, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Uh, it served me well in college, but I don't think I, she didn't start me off as a bartender. That was for sure. Ah, I love it. And my daughter is seven years old, so I can only imagine her running around uh, the <laughs> restaurants doing that. So, so Kathleen, as you were waitressing as your first job, you said you met your husband. Was it at that first job that you met oh, him? No, 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 no. I met him years later. So years yeah. later. So was that what you wanted to be and go into when you were young? I was working in the finance game and where you made real money. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And uh, no, we, I talked him into moving to my hometown, Saratoga, and which is a very seasonal place. The oldest racetrack, horse racing track in America is here. So the summers are very busy. There's a performing arts center. Life is very good here in the summer. So at that time we were, we had restaurants. So we had two restaurants on the main street and uh, we were closed in the winter. So that was kind of nice. So you were in finance, and, but how did that restaurant part come? Was it something that he wanted to do and you supported well, he, him? Well, as that was what he did. Oh, he did it when you met him. Yes, that was, he was a worker in that game. He worked for, at that time, Sears in their coffee houses and cafeterias. And although uh, he was not a big city guy, so when you made it with Sears, you were going to wind up in Chicago. And uh, he knew that was the next step. And he was not eager to do that. So we, he came out and bought a gin mill <laughs> that the children learned what tequila was at an early age, how to spell it. So <laughs> Wow. So kind of a renaissance man had his restaurants, had his gin mill, and then you all ended up buying a motel together. Correct? Yes. Yes. And how does that conversation start? Because that's very different than owning restaurants. Well, do you remember uh, what that was like? Oh, yes. We uh, we had these bars in a, a college town and New York State went. I don't even know when early though they went from 18 drinking age to 19 and the next year to 21. The dram shop law came in, which was the, uh, I serve her a drink. She goes out and hits you in a car and you're able to sue me for serving her a drink. And that, I don't know if that was successfully done, but it allowed the insurance companies to change their premiums. And my Irish parents stopped drinking. I thought, my God, if these people will stop, anybody will stop. <laughs> so, and all our profit was whiskey, beer, and wine. The food, we thought if you could break even, you were a wonderful person. Right. So we had to look for another way to make a living. And, and it, I wasn't a drinker, but I was a pusher. You know, that was uh, one of the, our last restaurant had a big front terrace. And we could have a terrific day without ever having anyone inside just using the front terrace. It's mm -hmm. a Starbucks now, actually. We didn't own the property. We were renters. And all you had to do was make one strawberry daiquiri with the whipped cream and the stra fresh strawberries and walk that through the place. And boom, that paid for our winter in Florida every year, the <laughs> strawberry daiquiris. <laughs> That's amazing. So have you seen the show Ted Lasso by chance? Was No, and my kids I keep have. pushing me. Yep. Yeah, I, I imagine, Kathleen, you being like this main one of the characters that runs the bar and it's kind of like the neighborhood <laughs> bar for everybody. Is that what it was like back then? Well, my mother and father had very distinct roles. My father was always the back of the house and yeah. my mother was the front of the house. So she knew she was the social engineer and she still is to this day at our existing property. And my father just liked to be behind the scenes. And I think that's really what, how you get a modicum of success is because there are people that, that know their roles and they work together as a team, but mm -hmm. separately. Uh, to fulfill those roles. So she was always at the front being with people and uh, sometimes had the attitude of that bar owner. Not all the time, but sometimes. <laughs> well, she's very kind. You know, we'll say that. She yes. gets everyone together in there. Exactly. So, so Kathleen, I, I love hearing the origin stories. So you find this motel, you decide you got to find something new and you find kind of this had, dilapidated it motel. Nine, it had a nine room farmhouse on the grounds. So we bought that. And did bed pioneered bed and breakfast through the zoning and planning boards here in town. That was in the early 80s. And I can remember making a pitch to the zoning board uh, for breakfast is not, we're not, it's not a boarding house because I'm not charging them for breakfast. And, and as one, and I'm from a we've been in this town a long time. My parents raised us here. Right. So as one guy on the zoning board is signing the writ and passing it to the next guy, he says, ah, what's the matter with her? She's from a good family. She got a taken borders. You know, they had no they had no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. so that was really the start of the bed and breakfast, you know, right. origins uh, in the early 80s as well. And uh, I think that 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 my mother and father really created the laws in this yes. town because people, the the city officials didn't know what it was. It wasn't like a traditional hotel. So they were able to craft uh, the laws and it really the bed and breakfast 
all around the city popped up around the 80s, 80s until the mid 90s here in town, as you know, much to my mother and father's credit. So they were always pioneers in this town. I'll, 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 I, I'm very, uh, very proud of that, that they, they started that. Great. And so Kathleen, do you remember opening the doors the first day after you got the laws changed? Do you open this place up? Do you remember what it was like on that first day for you? I was surprised I wasn't making more money. I think the restaurants made more money in uh, because they were open only in the summer when the business was here. And now the kids are in school, so we can't flip to Florida for the winter again. So it was a cut in pay at that time because of the seasonality of the town. That's a challenge. And it's a new thing that was going on, too, like you mentioned. So not everybody was used to that style of traveling. How did you start getting the word out to start getting people to, to come and stay with you? Well, this is before the Internet, too. Right. Well, being the first was helpful. We have a wonderful chamber of commerce. I got them to create a new category. So it was motels, it was uh, cabins, it was something. And then I said, okay, bed and breakfast. So the first year there were three of us in that category. The first year the chamber took that on. And the next year there were 33 of us. Wow. So, so it really took off. I think that's ebbing out. I think Airbnbs have put the hammer and nail into that. I. I think uh, I think that was a, a fad that's at the end of its run almost. Yeah, I think we saw that the, on this bed and breakfast. We were able to buy a wonderful 1850 house next door to us, maybe three or four years into the plan. So we had a the first motel ever built in town with real knotty pine and Ralph Lauren bedspreads, but the rooms were no bigger than the bed. I mean, the very <laughs> tiny. Right. And uh, then we had a medium price farmhouse that didn't have TVs in the room then, total bread and breakfast. And then we bought this 1850 brick federal next to us. So if you called, and which was high end and TVs and all the, the gizzies, if you called and I didn't sell you a room, shame on me. Yeah, you had all, you had your own little brand there. You had luxury, <laughs> mid-tier and yes. entry level. And it worked well. <laughs> Because, uh, well, uh, yes, especially for weddings, because people didn't, the bride and groom didn't have to declare the budget for their guests. They're, they could choose it, the motel, the farmhouse, or the high-end house. So, so you had those that. three going. And then, Amy, when did you start getting involved? Because you were saying you were well, working at the restaurants. Well, going. A yes. friend of mine who was a, um, how would I put it? She went to Skidmore. She stayed on. And a girl without a decimal point. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so she she uh, said, "Come look at this falling down boarding house on, in town." And these there were sixteen gentlemen in this boarding house. So it was right in the right spot of town. But these gentlemen were all alcoholics, and when they became overserved, they would go to the front porch and throw up onto the sidewalk. So no one would walk by. This. Oh, it's terrible! And all all we were doing was just standing there with an engineer saying, can this building be saved? And it's an 1870 brick federal, or, or I'm sorry, 1870 mansard roof, second empire building. It was nice. And it was built as a hotel and there's 16 rooms. There were 16 rooms, one bathroom per floor, three bathrooms in the place. And can it ever be saved? And can we add all these bathrooms, et cetera? And the town at that time did not have a four diamond and it was necessary. The town needed a four diamond. So we, and just standing, the local banker walked by and saw us standing on the porch. And are you looking at Alice Bowles' rooming house? Come talk to me. So it was that hard. You know, he just made a deal where we had to do it. And that was now what we call Saratoga Arms Hotel. So that's, yeah. So that was in 1997, 98. And this child had taken her master's in sports something. Marketing. Marketing. Was working the Olympics in 96 in Atlanta. Very nice. And loved it and was doing all that, not making any money. And uh, now we've had, we have all this, the three other properties on seven acres now. And then we bought this, which was falling down. Really, the kids came home and looked at this and said, mom and dad have gone crazy to do this. And my husband, who was 63 at the time, said, aren't we done? You know, <laughs> what are we doing? And I was 53. Oh, we have one more project. But it's across the street from the city center. It was just perfectly located, not in the bar area, just a block away from the bar area. So it wasn't craziness. And, and there it was. And then this child that got in 2002 said to her mother and father, 
is there anything for me if I came home? Oh, well, let, let's uh, let's go back there. So let's go back. <laughs> yes. So we, when they had, when in 1985, when my folks bought the the place on the outskirts of town, we had, my sisters and I had a bedroom in the wintertime, but in the summertime, they rented our rooms because it was a bed and breakfast <laughs> and they regaled us out to the cabin in the back, uh, which was our summers. Every, and then we had to serve our guests breakfast. We had to clean the, the rooms. There are a lot of things that we did as kids because my parents were entrepreneurs and they lived in their business that uh, we helped support them. So as you can imagine, when I went off to college, I had absolutely no interest to be in the family. Right. Business. That would be my question. So yeah. when you were in high school doing this, you're like, oh my gosh, mom, I, I got to go with my friends. I can't clean the rooms. Was that kind of what was going on? No, oh, no, that was not an option, Steve. That was, that was, that was not an option. I have to go with my friends. Oh, no, no. Your friends can wait. Or or better yet, come bring your friends. We need some help. We need some help stripping the sheets. Bring them over. I, I did. My parents did hire all my friends and my sister's friends to, to work the summers. So I, as you can imagine, I was not, I did not have any interest in coming back. And, and I saw how hard my parents were working. It was just, it was, it was quite a, quite a business. So I had, she's correct, in 96, I worked the Olympic Games down in Atlanta. And when my parents were in the, the buying phase of the, the rooming house on the, the, downstairs, the downtown area on Broadway, which is now Saratoga Arms Hotel, uh, which was, it was in 1997. And we didn't, I was at a crossroads in my job. So at that, I came home at that point and I said, let me transition you through. I'll work the bed and breakfast in the motel so you can focus all your efforts on getting Saratoga Arms up and running. And we did that. And what had happened was I ended up running that business by myself for three years. So my parents had the high-end property in downtown Saratoga, and we were just on the outskirts of town on seven acres of land. And again, it still worked. If we didn't, if if someone called up one of us and we didn't grab you, we had four distinct properties, then that, you know, shame again, shame on us. So I worked that. And then we just, we had a, we got lucky. We got a buyer out for the uh, Saratoga bed and breakfast and the Saratoga motel. And at that point I said, Ooh, I'm not sure if I want to go back into the corporate world. I like being my own boss. I have, it's a lot of benefits working in a business that, you know, you have, some sense of control, control over. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said to my folks, what would you think about me coming into the fold really full time with Saratoga arms? And I think they liked that, but it, 16 rooms was not going to support two families. Right. That so, was my next question. So in 2004, we put on an addition and doubled our size and put in a large conference room uh, and now increased our rooms to 31 renting rooms. And that was then able to support that. And then I moved down there. So I want to go back to when you first came back in, when you're running the motel kind of on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Were, were you sitting there like, what is going on here? Or did you grow up in it and you knew the business already? Because it's one thing to kind of help out and work there as an employee, but once you have to like call the shots, was it different for you or was it like, we've been doing this for a long time. It's the same. Thing. Not only did she know how to run the business, but she knew that once we get you, we got you. So we see the same people for 20 or 30 years. So she knew all the clients. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So some, it was, you know, I've, we were, I was doing it since I was 14 is when we, so, and I would come home during the summer's and mm -hmm. uh, see the same people during my college. I had ended up working at a at restaurants and bars rather than working with my parents' business, but helping out again and again with from time to time when I was in college. And I was older, you know, I was in my mid-20s. I was able, I was a little bit more confident about, you know, I had some corporate experience. I love the marketing. I, I think I was, I designed our first website in 19... 96. 96. Wow. So you had to, use a, had to use AOL to get on there. It was, yes. <laughs> I can still hear that dial up. Yeah, exactly. So well, I guess another other question for it is when you're working with your parents, were there things that you wanted to do that maybe got nixed because your parents still had to say, or were you able to work together pretty well at the beginning? Well, I think because we're in two separate properties, they didn't have the time or the space to micromanage and and they sort of had to entrust me to know what I was doing or what I loved the most is they were just two minutes down the road 
and they had all this wealth of experience. So there'd be a lot of times where I would call or we would have dinner together and I would ask, how would you handle this? What did I do? You know, Steve, early on, she said, we're going to hire a website designer for the new website and she's mm-hmm. going to cost us $25,000 and she lives in Hawaii. Nobody works in Hawaii. <laughs> she says, what is this? $25,000 for a website. And, and this is way back when. Mm-hmm. And then she said, all right, she's very clever. All right. If I sell, what was it? $25,000 worth of gift certificates for the hotel before Christmas, mm-hmm. would you give me? I said, yes, we'll give you the okay. And I thought, once that new website got open, bam, Katie barred the doors. And I thought, it must be tough working with old people who can't see spending $25,000 <laughs> on that. Oh, but she I love that. Those are the kind of stories I love because it's going to happen, I'm sure, to Amy. If you have, you have kids, Amy? I have two boys, and they have been working at the hotel since they were 11. They have, again, told me that they will never be, and they've, They've seen the evolution and they've seen the craziness during COVID. And they always yeah. ask me, why are you doing this? <laughs> so, they will never be in the business. I can barely get them to come down for dinner. <laughs> so, well, they're going to create a new way of doing it. They'll have uh, some virtual and augmented reality that they'll pitch you on. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. You just, you just never know what, how I never, yeah. I never thought I would be back, but here I am. I've been back for almost uh, 28 years. So I love it. So when you decided to make the decision, because the big decision was doubling the size of the hotel, right? And selling the other portion of it. How did that decision come? That came in 2004, but we had this bank, really. You put your bucket out front, they fill it up, you pay them back. Their only, only wrinkle is you have to pay them back. Right. And they're, they're a local hometown community, yes. community bank. They, Family owned, same, yeah. same operation as we are. Mm-hmm. And what's the name of the bank? Let's give them a shout out today. The Adirondack Trust Company. All right. So they came in and said, we'll support you. We've seen you doing great for the community. Well, we're going to buy this. And now we need an addition. And and so how does that work? Because a lot of people don't know when to grow their business or when to double the size of their business. How did you decide? Was it just a gut feeling like we need this and business is good? Or did you write a big business plan? And We sold out the hot times too fast. We know we and we needed we needed infrastructure too. We needed a commercial laundry. We needed offices. We were working on our laps, and you know, no, it was it, it was we needed the space. And while we're doing it, seventeen more rooms came in. We also saw that during certain periods, we were just busting at the seams. So if we we could sell twelve more rooms during our high season, and just also decided to specialize in the executive meetings and retreats as well, but that corporate where they maybe just want the whole, actually like right right now, now, we have a group in for five nights. They have taken over the entire property and they are here for their annual retreat and they love it because this is their property. They have our chef privately for the entire week. They have run of the the whole grounds. They have the front porch. They have everything. So it's and they're all under one roof. So we we're we're perfect that that 30 room um 31 is perfect for a small retreat where they want to be all together. So and, and that's great. And listeners, if you're not driving, take out your phone or look on the computer and put in the Saratoga Arms Hotel website because it's a beautiful hotel. I love what you all have done with it. And Thank it really you. brings the history out. Of, you can feel it from the city. It's uniquely local. I can see it from the pictures, even reading all your reviews. I read all the reviews from the last yeah. year and two years to see how you all were doing. And you you do what you say. You've got almost five stars on there. And that's really hard to do yeah. in this day and age. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm excited for this one. I've got Trisha perez Keneally, the owner of the Inn at Hastings Park. Trisha, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Steve. Well, Trisha, we jump in right away on this podcast. What was your first job in hospitality? Some people would probably say that my first job in hospitality was when I opened my own doors at the Inn at Hastings Park. I had my own catering business beforehand, and I had actually started when I graduated from Le Cordon Bleu with my grand diploma in 2003. We moved back to the States. And I had young children. And so I started by donating my services to charity auctions. 
But I actually really feel that some of my experiences in my prior life as an investment mm -hmm. banker and a commercial banker, there are really important aspects of hospitality in both of those jobs. I was a forward-facing banker as a corporate finance professional. My responsibility was to help people through financing processes. And so there is a hospitality aspect to that because you are taking care of your client especially my clients, they were start, a lot of them were startups. So for these people, this was the most pivotal event in their entrepreneurship. They were monetizing what they had worked for years for. And so you have to be cool, calm, and collected. You have to anticipate people's needs before mm -hmm. they even know what they are. And you have to make sure that people have a good time along the way, right? Yes. So I think that that is the essence of hospitality is anticipating what your guests want and need before they even know it. So I guess I had some training before I sort of jumped into the fire and opened my own hotel. I would say you definitely did. So I want to talk about the prior before hospitality life. What was it like? What was your life like before you decided to transition into the world of hotels and, and the inns? So I guess the one of the other aspects that was great for being in the hospitality business is being an investment banker's full throttle very long days. You know, you can be working six or seven days a week. The hours are long. So I worked in New York initially, then I worked in Boston, and then I worked in London in England. So I traveled all over Europe with my job. Wow. One of the years that I was working in Boston, I actually spent the bulk of the year commuting to California. So I was a very savvy consumer of the hospitality industry. I stayed in hotels all the time. Mm -hmm. And I really used a lot of that experience as a traveler in formulating the ideas for what I wanted our style of service to be at the inn. So, you know, in a nutshell, it was very hard throttle, hands on, and you have to be used to working really long hours and working hard. So those are all skills that are so easily transferable, not only transferable, those skills are essential to be successful in the hospitality industry. So when you were in investment banking, maybe you kind of give us like the 30 second download because we all hear this investment bankers and traders and all these different terms. I don't really know too much different. What were you investing in? Was it startup companies? Was it big companies? Was it real estate so or all different things? As a corporate finance banker, I was helping companies line up financing. So that could take the, that could be a private placement, which it means qualified investors are investing in a company. It could be an initial public offering, which is the first time a company is going to the public markets to be listed on the exchange. It could be, there might be a company that wanted to acquire one of my clients or my client wanted to acquire somebody else. In that case, I would usually be the relationship manager and bring in a mergers and acquisition team to help with that transaction. So I was actually helping my clients figure out their next step of financing and what that looked like. And, you know, there are times where you could be working with a company and you could have three processes going on simultaneously. There are companies that are going public, but at the same time, they may be looking to grow and maybe acquiring another company, but they also may be looking for an additional investment from another company. So it's really you're a little bit of a jack or jill of all trades in terms of financing when you're in that corporate finance position. Yeah, sounds, look, it sounds interesting to me, but you decide to make a pivot. Was it just that you got burnt out? Was it you wanted something else or you always deep down wanted to be in hospitality? So I think what I always knew was that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. My father is a CPA by training, worked for one of the big eight firms, but then he started his own accounting firm when we were living in Puerto Rico, which is where he is from originally. And I always knew from a very young age that I wanted to have my own company. I wasn't as sure about what I wanted, wanted it to be related to, but from a very young age, I was also very passionate about food and cooking. Mm -hmm. And the whole reason behind opening up the inn is my true passion is culinary education and teaching people how to cook, to really be comfortable cooking. And right. so what I realized is that if I wanted to teach people how to cook, then I needed to learn from the best. I needed to be educated by the best. And so I decided that 
I would leave investment banking and finally take that leap. This was after 9-11. And I think a lot of people, for a lot of people, it was a moment of reckoning, right? Mm -hmm. It was, okay, here's the moment. What do I really want to do? And what I really wanted to do was teach people how to cook and share my passion for the culinary arts and also for hospitality, that aspect of taking care of people and nurturing people. And I left investment banking and I attended Le Cordon Bleu in London and I earned what's called Le Grand Diplôme, which means that I studied both pastry and cuisine. And then I graduated. We were living in London. We had lived in London for three years. That first year I was an investment banker. Technically, I started in March of 2002 at Le Cordon Bleu. It took 18 months. In August of 2003, I graduated. And like three weeks later, we moved back to Lexington, Massachusetts, which is where I had moved when I was 12. So it's my hometown. And we moved back here. So before you went to the Cordon Bleu, would you be the friend where I say, oh, we're going to Trisha's place. She, she's cooking up a dinner tonight for everybody. Or were you cooking for family as you're growing up? Because you said you had some Puerto Rican background. I, was, were you that friend? God bless my mother. Right. I was the kid who made purple buttercream when she was mm-hmm. 11. Can you imagine that? Buttercream, purple, all over the kitchen. And at that age, I wasn't so good about cleaning up after myself. And my mother, okay, whatever. Sounds like my daughter. Right? But (laughs) I was that person. So when I was working in Manhattan on the weekends, we would go out to to the, we would, we would go out to the Hamptons. That's where we went. And we were sharing a house with, you know, 24 of my closest friends. Everyone else would be on the beach and I would be going to buy all the ingredients and making dinner for 25 people. And I thought that that was the best thing ever. Yeah, see, it's funny because I love doing that too. I'm not the, as great a cook as some of my friends, but I like doing it. It's a feeling that you have, that hospitality. You just like giving back to people. So you're doing it. You go to Le Cordon Bleu. You get your, your degree there. What was it called again? Le Grand Diplôme. You get the Grand, the grand, grand Diplôme. Yeah. The Grand Diplôme. You've now been told you're the master at a lot of things. What happens after that? So after that, I was, Gabriella, my oldest, was six months old when I started at Le Cordon Bleu. By the time I graduated, I was pregnant with my second, my son, Connor. And when we got back to Lexington, you know, it's so interesting to move back to your hometown as an adult. I, I got really involved in town government, advocating for the public schools. And as I said, I was donating these dinners. So people would bid on dinner for eight and it would be, you know, they, they could pick whatever they wanted. One couple, I made this amazing Peruvian dinner for them. They just come back from Peru. So I really, you know, paired it with wines and people began to have a good time. People, as a result of that, began to ask me to cater things for them. And so the initial idea was we started a catering business. And I started with a dear friend here, my friend Melissa, as well as my my sister and another friend of hers. And then what happened was I had always thought, so we've progressed a few years. We came back in 2003. Mm -hmm. Actually, this weekend is the anniversary of when I looked at the inn for the first time in 2010. So Lexington, I don't know if you've ever been to New England or Lexington. So set the scene for us. It's out of central casting. Lexington is out of central casting. We take great pride in being the birthplace of the American Revolution. So quintessential town center, beautiful town green. Everything is historic. It's beautiful. But I always thought it was sort of funny that we didn't have an inn, especially because the the that morning they waited at what was called what was called the Buckman Tavern. It was an inn, right? The revolution, the, the militia, they were hanging out at an inn before they went out. And I wouldn't say welcome, but encountered the regulars advancing on Lexington. Yeah. And so I was always kind of looking for a property. And this property came on the market in 2010. And we took a huge leap of faith. I submitted a proposal to buy the property and turn it into a 22 guest room inn with the restaurant. The number was 54 seats. I think that was the the number. Mm-hmm. And they accepted my proposal. And then it took a year and a half to get through zoning because as the oldest part of the country, although there's parts of Florida, you know, St. Augustine that might be yes. a little older mm-hmm. than New England, we don't really like change. Change is not always easy. But we made it through the rezoning and then it took another year and a half to do the renovations. The house, the original house, 
there's three buildings. They've been built in the 1800s. And in order for us to bring everything up to the standards and level that you need, not only from a, a code perspective, but more importantly for, for my needs, to the standards of a luxury hotel, it took a year right. and a half. That's amazing. And, I, and you unpacked a lot here. And I want to go back just a couple of steps because I love the origin story and so do the listeners. So you get back. Are you still doing investment banking when you're banking when you're cooking at these uh, auctions? All right. So you're done with investment so banking. My, I finished investment banking in 2001 ish. I was on maternity leave during 9 11. Got it. So you're like, I'm. Part of the origin story is that I was supposed to go back to be the chief of staff of our European operations because we had offices in London, Munich, and Tel Aviv, but the markets imploded. Mm -hmm. So So then we're laying off people. I was on maternity leave and I actually accepted a severance package and I used that money to pay to go to Le Cordon Bleu. I love it. So when you come back home, are you saying, hey, I'm starting a catering company or was it started to evolve? It was, there was time between it because I had Connor. Connor yep. was born in February. And then two years later, which takes us to 2006, I had Rory, our youngest son. And I was, you name it, I ran it, right? I think that part of it is, is when you have worked so full throttle, I felt that I, if I was going to stay home and I had all these skills that I needed to give back. So I was the treasurer of the nursery school. I was on the PTA. I served on town meeting, which is like our town's legislature. Volunteering became a full-time job, but I was cooking a lot and teaching. Like I was teaching kids. I was doing teaching here and there. Mm-hmm. And then as when this property came on the market, it was an, again, another one of those moments, like here's the moment. And so were you searching, you said you were searching for something like this. Were you searching for a restaurant or anything? A lot of us go on like LoopNet or Realtor. We're always looking for stuff. Like, like, what could I do I was always on the lookout for realists. I was always on the lookout for something that could potentially be an inn. And along Mm -hmm. the way, there were a few houses that I I looked at. It's so funny because then, you know, I have friends that have bought these houses. I'm like, oh, you know, I looked at your house and thought. But it's really (laughs) tough zoning wise, right? They're very... Mm -hmm. There's very, there's only certain places that you would be able to do it because the other part too, about running a small hotel, the financial model is very challenging in a small hotel, especially when you're competing in the luxury market. I have to offer the same level of services that four and five star hotels offer, Right. but I don't have the number of rooms or keys to amortize that cost over. So you needed to have a certain number of rooms, ideally. I would have 50 rooms, but I have 22, right? So it had to be a really particular spot. And this spot happens to be on a corner, 400 yards from the battle green. It was technically not zoned when we bought it because it had built, it had been built before zoning was introduced. So we had to go through a special process to get it zoned, but it worked because on one side, there's religious institutions on another side, there's businesses, but there is a neighborhood across the street from us. So you have to be very careful about, about those aspects when you're doing an independent hotel that could be in a smaller town or a residential community. So when you were volunteering, did that come back and help that you had relationships you had made because you said you were working with the city a little bit? Did that help at all? Certainly did. And that's, and I'm a very big believer. You know, you asked the question about when did you start in hospitality? All of the things that I did, including the volunteer work, were all skills that have come into play. So I, you know, worked on political campaigns. I was active in the schools. So I knew a lot of people. So that community building aspect was essential because to get through the zoning, I ran a political campaign. You know, that's what I did. So all of those skills came into play. And the other thing too, is that people could see that I genuinely cared for this community. I I am passionate about the town that I'm from. And so I had demonstrated that through my volunteerism. So when you found the spot, I like this part of the stories as well. You find the place, 
you start sketching it out. Now knowing your background and what a go-getter you are, do you start doing your investment banking numbers on the piece of paper or was it like on an Excel sheet? Like, all right, I got 22 rooms. I got this much square foot. I need this restaurant with this many seats. Did you start putting it all out or was it, no, I'm going to go forward. I, I feel well, it. It was a combination. <laughs> I think that, you know, probably there was a lot of gut and we did an initial model. The initial model kind of went out the window because the zoning process was really much more expensive than it should have been because there was somebody who was opposed to the idea. And the thing that's really difficult is that a small group of people can make something really challenging and it really made the process much more expensive, hmm. but it got to a point that I, I kind of dug my heels into the ground on principle and was like, this is the right thing for the town. This is the right project. And I am going to make this happen, which is not always the best financial lens, right? Because if I looked at the numbers at that point, I should have walked away. All right. So if you were advising me, you might have said, Steve, maybe this isn't the one. Or would you say, go as, with it? As the financial advisor, I yeah, should so have you would said, be telling me. run for the hills, run for the hills. Look, I went to Harvard Business School. I believe right. in capitalism. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of felt like this is the right, this is the right concept. And we're kind of letting some things get in the way that shouldn't get in the way of development. You know, I prove like I conform to all the different regulations. And so it kind of also became a statement like this is the right thing to do, right? This is the right project for this property. The part that's also difficult from a financial perspective, from being an independent, you know, there's a lot of research out there that it takes five years for an independent hotel to, to reach that Make point. Mm -hmm. You know, we, you know, we're in a pretty stable place now, but we invested a ton of money, a ton of money. Right, I was going to uh, ask you about that because it's beautiful. The place is beautiful. You can tell that you took a lot of time building it up. I took a lot of time and I probably, and look, I have to thank my husband, who is my financial, who is my partner and, you know, in my, my financial partner, we took a huge risk. We took a huge risk and, you know, we still, there's still a lot of work to do in terms of what we do. I have aspirations. I'm working on a cookbook that frankly has been delayed because I had to step in. I've stepped in and out of that general manager role and I stepped back in full throttle when we reopened after the pandemic. It was very different up here than it was in other parts of the country. I agree with the strategy that we used up here. We were very cautious, but we had a very methodical way of reopening the, the economy. And since we reopened, it's been, we've actually been on a, a really good run. That six month period, it gave me time and it forced me to refocus on the things that were important to me. And so I really was in there, you know, everything from front desk to laundry, which is something I've always done, right? I've been very, very hands-on as an owner. And I think that that's important because it really helps. It's the best way for me to spread the culture that I believe in to my team. Mm -hmm. We work shoulder to shoulder and we're all about taking care of our guests. And so it's much harder as a small independent to see the financial benefit. The challenge is, is that if I'm really knee deep in the operational part, then it's taken away a little bit from me finishing the book that I'm writing about the experience of opening it in. It's taken away a little bit from some of the culinary and educational things that I do. I, I now am much more committed and love doing it. We do cooking classes throughout the month at the inn, and I am the person who teaches it. I think people are blown away. They come for these immersive culinary weekends. Yeah. I'm like, Who's the teacher? I'm like, I'm your teacher. <laughs> I, it's me. me. Like, I'm going to personally teach you. I'm going to drive you and take you on that historical farm tour. This is about me sharing what I consider to be such, it's such a piece of me, right? What I did at the end is really my sharing my view of hospitality with our guests. I love it. And so I want to get back because I feel the passion now and I want to learn about how you got it open now. So you get approval from the city, you run, run this local campaign to get your in, you get the keys. What starts to happen once you got approved? Well, what's interesting is I had the keys, right? Because oh, I, we, 
saw the property in 2010. We closed on the acquisition of the property on 2011. So I was carrying the property while we went through the zoning. Wow. The vote happened in May of 2012. We were able to begin some of the construction, but we had to wait 90 days for the attorney general to certify the results of our town meeting. It's like a technical, but Mm -hmm. we started, we were able to get permits to start some of the rebuilding. Some of that rebuilding involved lifting the two outer buildings, lifting them right off of their foundation. And I, not me personally, but (laughs) I paid to have one of the buildings moved 18 feet. Wow. So when I literally tell you, like, I moved buildings to make this this happen, we did. So then the construction was, and I am so lucky because my project manager from the construction side was my father. There you go. So my entrepreneurial father, you know, he sold his company a long time ago. We moved to the state. So he actually went to HBS as a 38, Harvard Business School as a 38-year-old. And then he did a lot of real estate development. And his retirement was spent being a general contractor. So he managed the project. And his spreadsheets were pretty incredible, putting that CPA training to good use. So we had to do all the construction. All 22 rooms are decorated differently. So working hand in hand with my designer, Robin Gannon, all 22 rooms are different. A focus on American craftsmanship, especially things that are made in New England. So working with her to source soap stands that were made in Rhode Island, candelabras that were made in Connecticut, dining room chairs and dining room tables that were made in Rhode Island. All of the people that we choose that we chose to represent were people like me, that mm-hmm. people who are following a passion and following a dream and really highlighting that across the property. So it was it was crazy. It, I mean, and there were days when I would stand in the foyer of the buildings and be like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. But I have to say that that moment when yeah, the doors opened. So day one. What happens? I'm so sure there you remember. Were, there were a few day ones, right? So okay. we were <laughs> able to get the outer buildings done first. And so we opened some of those hotel rooms in the winter of 2014, like very early on. And then the main building opened on April April 1st, right? Can you can you make that up? Right. <laughs> April Fool's Day. We're here. <laughs> I kind of felt like it's a joke. We're opening. But but there, I mean, there were crazy things. Like I had everyone hired, staff all hired. We've done the training and we have a phone line in the elevator, right? All elevators have a phone and there was something wrong. Like there was something wrong with the line. And I call and the phone company says, oh, it's going to be six weeks. And I'm heart attack. You got I reservations. I can't get a certificate of occupancy without that phone line by the luck of God. The woman who answered the phone in customer service grew up in Lexington. She took pity on me. She came and did what needed to be done herself. That is amazing. And so this is also something that you learn. Hospitality should be gracious. We should be kind. We should be nice. And comporting yourself and behaving like that in as many situations as possible, it does pay off in the long run, right? Because she... She knew the property. She un- I, I explained what I was trying to do. She said, okay, I got this. We will figure this out. And I was so grateful. And so those are the things too, is that that's also something that I think about. People come to us to have fun, but sometimes people come and stay with us for challenging reasons. They may have somebody who's going through medical treatment here in the Boston area. Someone may be sick. Someone may have passed away. And sometimes I'm more proud of my team when they realize that, that their empathy is so locked in that they know and the little things that they do to go out of their way to take care of somebody. I tell this story about a lovely young woman. She grew up in Lexington. She came to work for me and she helped somebody to their room and learned that they were there because someone, someone close to her passed away. Without anyone telling her to do this, she goes downstairs and she comes back up and she knocks on the woman's door and the woman opens her door and she has a bowl of chocolate ice cream for the guest. 
And the guest said, I'm sorry, I didn't order this. And she responded, I know that you didn't, but I know that when I'm sad, this is what I want. So I hope this makes you feel better. Oh man, that's beautiful. Right? That's what it's all about. Yeah. That's what it's all about. And so what I often tell people who are starting on their journey in hospitality, the beginning comes from the heart. Like if you truly find pleasure from making other people happy, if that fills your cup, then I can teach you everything else. I can teach you, you know, how to do revenue management. I can teach you how to make a bed. I can teach you how to run the laundry. I can teach you how to be a dishwasher. I can teach you all of that. But if you inherently have that in your heart, that's the first requisite. And I tell people, I have some of my children's friends who work for us. The kids that work for me, because my children are now 16, 18, and 21, Mm -hmm. I knew when they were 10 or 11 that they were going to be the ones that were going to work for me because they had that spark. I can tell usually within about a minute of people that we interview for the hotel whether or not it's going to be a fit. There's a woman, a professor at HBS who did research on this. She talked to, I think it was a bank, and they had a 30-minute test. It was a 30-second test. And it was if you naturally smiled within 30 seconds, that was your first interview. I use that all the time when I was interviewing too. Well, it- It'd be on time and smile, at least. That was like my two. Oh, (laughs) so I did that. And the other one that I used in investment banking, and I still use it, Mm -hmm. I used to make people wait. Like I knew that they were on time, but I would make them wait like five minutes because I wanted to see how they interacted with our receptionists. That's a good one too. Right. Because they're, they're the heart. I always ask the receptionist too. I'd ask the admins how they treat you. Right. I love that you did that too. Yeah. Right. And and I had analysts that worked for me that were brilliant, but they treated the people who were there to help them awfully. And I would say to some of them, you better remember that like I have some influence on what you're going to get paid at the end of the year. And if I don't think that you are being respectful and appreciative of the fact that these people are working to make you look good. And to be supportive of you, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. I think that's a great tip. So listener, I think you should rewind this little section here. Don't do it when you're driving. <laughs> Just re-listen to this because <laughs> it's some great tips there, especially if you're going at an interviewing at all levels. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome. 